Hey, thanks for joining us on the No Limits Church podcast. This is a place to get equipped to make a difference for the kingdom of God. So get ready to be empowered by this message. Did you know that every time I speak the word, I'm sowing seed into your life? Sowing seed into your life? Did you know that what happens to that seed depends on how you hear? That's why some people leave church without getting anything from it while others experience life change. And you're like, did they go to the same service? Yeah, they did. So if you want today's word to produce a harvest in your life, pay attention to how you hear. How you hear. And first, what you have to do is you have to, you have to open your heart to receive the word of God. Because if you sit with your arms crossed, just waiting on God to prove something to you, waiting for Kate to put on a good performance that you actually like, you're going to kill the word before it produces a harvest. And then you have to make a commitment to stick with it. You see, the word of God often leads us into challenges and persecution. Can I get an amen? amen. So if you're expecting it to be easy, you're going to kill the word before it produces a harvest. That goes on a lot in America because we've kind of painted this picture that this thing's easy. It's not easy. You got to stick with it. And you also have to be diligent to eliminate distractions because there's all kinds of things in the world like your phone, like worrying about money, like all the stuff, right, that would like to kill the word before it produces a harvest. There's a lot of things out there trying to kill the word. So pay attention to how you hear. Open your heart to receive the word. Make a commitment. I'm going to stick with this no matter how hard it gets. And I'm going to be diligent to eliminate distractions. Do those three things and you're going to position yourself as good soil that produces a harvest of righteousness. Some 30-fold, right? Some 60, some 100. I'm going for the 100. Woo! I don't know about you. So we're going to spend most of our time today in Romans chapter 8. How many of you guys kind of like run away from the book of Romans? You love the book of Romans. I know this guy up here loves the book of Romans. It, you like Romans 5? Man, Romans is a thick book. Every time I get in there, I'm like, man, I'm going to have to stick here for a minute. It's just, it's so, it's so rich. So we're going to Romans chapter 8. I've been stuck in verses 10 and 11 since Monday. The Holy Spirit led me there, and he's kept me there ever since. And so clearly the Lord has something for us in these verses today. In them, I believe, is the secret to our next step. This is how we become who we are supposed to be, No Limits Church. And here's what they say. Romans chapter 8, verse 10 and 11 says this, And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God, who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he's going to give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Wow. So we're going to dig into these two verses, but first let's anchor ourselves by examining what leads into these two verses. You see, we tend to get ourselves in trouble by cherry picking things out of the scriptures. Anybody ever, have you ever done that? Without understanding the context? So let's stop doing that and actually put in the effort to understand what is being said here. The book of Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a mixed group of Jewish and Gentile believers. It seems that they were having a little debate. Can you imagine a debate going on in the church? They were having a little debate on whether keeping the law was a requirement of salvation or not, specifically circumcision. Paul spent the first eight chapters clearing this up for him. And after, open, after his opening greeting, he starts off with a short summary of the good news. Take a look. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. 
For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. For in it, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by what? Faith. So from this pleasant opening, Paul goes on to explain God's anger against sinful people. And since these people refuse to acknowledge God, he's turned them over to their shameful and wicked desires, right? We know this as like uh, he's turned them over to a debased mind, right? Have you all ever heard that scripture used? So how do we know who these people are? You know what the hallmark sin is? According to Romans chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, homosexuality. But that's not all, folks. He's also talking about those who are full of greed and hate and envy and murder and quarreling and deception, malicious behavior, and everybody's favorite, gossip. So this is a somber way to open a message. I mean, if an American preacher did this today, the church board would meet him afterwards and say, you got to knock that off. The Apostle Paul wouldn't listen to that nonsense, though. He just doubled down <laughs> like he did in chapter 2. He knew there were people in the crowd thinking, "Woo! I'm glad I'm not one of those sinners. So he called them out <laughs> right to their face with these words. You think you're better, but you're really just hypocrites. And to make sure everybody understands, here's what he says. He just sums it up. So everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. In other words, you might as well give up trying to make yourself look good because we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Not one of us measures up. And he pairs this bad news <laughs> with the good news. He goes on to say, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Woo! So Paul put the sinners on blast, and then he put the self-righteous hypocrites on blast. And all of this was to prove that nobody's capable of saving themselves. You can only be right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he went on to completely disarm this argument that the Jewish Christians were having about the requirement of circumcision for salvation. And did you know how he did this? Man, Paul's epic. He brought out Abraham, the beloved father of their faith. Abraham is where the Jewish lineage started. And guess what? His Faith was accounted to him as righteousness before he was circumcised. Totally disarmed him right there. Abraham is the proof that we're made right with God only by faith, not by circumcision or keeping the law or abstinence from sin or any other kind of good work. Talk about dropping a truth bomb. I imagine they're all speechless at this point in the letter. Because, you know, they get the letter and then they have to read it aloud to the church. So I imagine the church is being really quiet at this point. Paul knew this was a heavy hitter, so he took a little break in chapter 5. Give him a little reprieve. Take a look at how it starts. He says, therefore, since we've been made right with God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Ah, oh, thank you, Paul. And he goes on to talk about how we now have access to hope and and joy, and how we're now free from condemnation, and we have an abundance of God's grace that's available to us. I mean, it is a wonderful chapter. It's wonderful. And this chapter is where we get the American half gospel. 
we pluck this chapter out by itself and we give everybody this, the warm fuzzies. And now we have a bunch of people who think they can have Jesus and keep their sin too. They think their life of sin as a Christian is proof of how loving God is. So before we get into chapter 6, which clears this all up for us, praise God, let me take you back to a verse in chapter 2, where Paul said this, Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Do you know what this is saying? If that thing that you claim as the goodness of God does not lead people to repentance, it's not the goodness of God. Whoa. Why not? Because the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Chapter 6 brings us more clarity. Starts off like this. Well then, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Aha, y'all, here's the other half of the gospel. To the church in America, I'm telling you this. All you have to do is keep reading to chapter 6. Just keep reading, right? Just keep reading. Yes, God's grace is abundant. Yes, you have forgiveness of sin. But wait, that's not the whole gospel. There's more. You're dead to sin. You've been set free from the power of sin. You can now live a new life. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're a slave to righteousness. And did you know if people just knew this? They perish for a lack of knowledge. They just don't know that they're dead to sin. So they're over there living in sin. All they got to know is that they're dead to sin. They can step into that in faith and actually be dead to sin. Freedom. No Limits Church, you know this because I've been preaching this for three years. But if you have friends and family who are still clinging to that American half gospel, just lead them to Romans chapter 6. Say, go read Romans chapter, I mean, it makes it really clear. It's awesome. But what happens in the next chapter is really interesting. So Paul knows at this point we're going to be tempted once again to think that our righteousness can win approval from God. I mean, you know how we are. We go from one extreme to the other. Nobody? You know, we go from one ditch on one side of the road to the ditch on the other side of the road. And Paul's like, I'm going to make sure that you all stay on the road this time. So in chapter 7, he recounts his former life before Christ. The apostle Paul was a devout Jew. He was a keeper of the law. He did his best to follow the law. And compared to everybody else, he did it better. So he explains how miserable it was to put in all that effort to keep the law and still fail over and over and over. Anybody been there? Over and over and over. You're putting in all this effort to keep the law and you're failing over and over and over. And that's when he says the phrase that people love to use found in Romans 7.15. I don't really understand myself for I want to do what is right but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. This might go down as the most misused scripture in history. (laughs) People love to use this to justify their sin. They think, the apostle Paul even struggled with sin, so of course I'm going to. (laughs) Oh man, I can't wait to get in church with the apostle Paul when we get to heaven. He's gonna be like, all right, everybody, to Romans chapter seven, verse 15. I'm gonna clear this up for you. So those of you who believe that, too bad. What you believe is out of context. You're out of luck. The Apostle Paul was recounting his life before Christ. 
He was painting the miserable picture of trying to earn your salvation by keeping the law. So if you relate to Romans 7.15 that we just read, you just found out that you're trying to earn your salvation. I'm here to set you free. You can't. You can't earn your salvation by keeping the law. Salvation only comes by faith in Jesus Christ. And when you receive true salvation, you are released from the power of sin. You see, Jesus doesn't just give you forgiveness of sin. He gives you what? Freedom from sin. And now, we are finally to chapter 8. Aren't you glad we examined what leads into these two verses that we're going to talk about today? Because that was just epic. The book of Romans. Man, such a good book. So I'm going to read to you all of chapter 8. Don't tune out. Give your full attention to the Word of God. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. <laughs> Can somebody say freedom? I wasn't lying to you. That spirit gives you freedom from sin. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies that we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. What did God do? He declared what? An end to sin's control over us. I'm stirring up your faith today. You don't have to keep on sinning. He's declared an end to the power of sin over your life. Well, how do I step into that freedom? By faith that he's provided that for you. Praise the Lord. He did this so that the just requirement of the law could be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead we follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies through the same Spirit living within you. I know. Praise the Lord. Verse 12, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, <laughs> you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. No obligation. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the sinful nature, you will live. How do we put to death the deeds of the sinful nature? 
Through the power of the Spirit. Not through your effort. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Oh, man, y'all. Y'all, this is so simple. Submit to the Spirit of God. Surrender to the Spirit of God. And this is yours. He's not saying, go try harder. He's saying, submit to the Spirit, and you're going to be free. Surrender. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Woo! Hallelujah! No shouts for that one, huh? Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up into the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait, eager, wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And what are we waiting for? Our new bodies, right? Did he say that we were waiting for freedom from sin? No. We're going to dig into that a little more here in a bit. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. That's amazing to me that he gave us his glory. Wow. And just to disarm a common misconception out there, some people will read that and think, that they're out of luck, like that somehow we don't have the choice to become children of God because he knew them before they became children of God. God knows the beginning from the end. In other words, he knows what you're going to choose. It's not like he said, you can, you can be a child of God, but you can't. That's not what God did. It's your choice. He gave you free will. But since God knows the beginning from the end, he exists in time, he exists outside of time, he knows you ahead of time. And he knows who's going to choose what. So what shall we say about such wonderful things as these. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us? 
whom God has chosen for his own. No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, and he is pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. So I'm convinced that nothing can never separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Rich. So let's take another look at those two verses we started with today. That's verse 10 and 11. Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God, who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Did you know that 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26 reveals that there's one last enemy to be destroyed? Does anybody know what the last enemy is? Death. Jesus has taken care of everything else except this one thing, death. The power of sin has already been destroyed. Sickness has already been destroyed. Our authority has already been restored. There's just one thing we're waiting on, our new bodies that will not die. We're not waiting on the other promises of God. They're all available to us, just waiting for us to access them. But we are waiting with great hope for that last enemy to be destroyed. Y'all, we eagerly look forward to that wonderful day when we get those new bodies that the Lord has promised us. Some believers, will be raised, some believers will be raised from the dead and get their new bodies then. Those of us who are alive and remain when he comes back, <laughs> we get our new bodies on our way up to, this, to the clouds, right? I hope that's us. There's a whole generation that'll never see death, huh? Thank you, Lord. So in this meantime, while we're waiting on those new bodies... He has placed his spirit on the inside of us. Here's what you need to get today. He has placed his spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And it wants to give life, life to your mortal body. I don't think we fully realized what's in us. I mean, we, we tend to submit to this physical process of death instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to bring life to our mortal bodies. We just lay down and submit to. And that's not what we're supposed to be doing. The Apostle Paul gave us the answer back in chapter 5 
is verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, talking about Adam, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will what? Reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. This is our assignment. Our assignment is to reign in life. And if you dig into the original language, you find out that this means we are to govern abundant life. Through Christ, we have been given the position of a king over abundant life. It's up to us to demonstrate and establish abundant life on the earth. We have to use the authority that has been restored to us. Y'all know John 10.10, right? The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus came to give us life, and what? Life more abundantly. But we have to govern that abundant life. We have to take our place of authority in order to live in that abundant life. Abundant life belongs to us now. The problem is that we don't understand our authority, that Jesus has made us a king in this life, that he has given us the ability to govern abundant life. We are to reign in life. The spirit of God lives in us. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in us. When are we gonna allow him to bring life to our mortal bodies, to bring abundant life? This message today is a call to step into the authority that you've been given in Christ. Step into your place as a king over abundant life. It's up to us. It's up to you to establish. Sorry about that to establish abundant life here on the earth. Nobody's gonna do it but the children of God. And the children of God haven't been doing it. Take your spankings today. What have you been doing? Why have you been walking around all pitiful? Why, why do Christians look beat down and like they're like the lowest part of society? Why are Christians like the weakest part of society? You think that Jesus is going to be pleased if we get to heaven and we say, well, Lord, I didn't backslide. I made it. As if that was the highest goal in life. That would be equivalent to the servant with that one talent that said, I kept my talent. Here's Here's it back, Lord. And what's the Lord's going to say? You wicked and lazy servant. I don't know about you, but I don't want to hear that from the Lord. I want to say, Lord, you gave me the ability to govern abundant life. So that's what I did. I rose up as a king and I said, abundant life, you come here. You come here in my city. You come here in my church. You come here in my family because Jesus gave me abundant life and I'm going to live in it. I'm going to govern it. Somebody's got to rise up in their authority. You're not going to get this just sitting around and wishing, waiting for it to come to you. That's not how it works. You have to rise up as a king and say, this is how we do it here. So I rebuke all sickness and I tell it to go. Every time you have a symptom in your body, that's just a temptation to be sick. Did you know that? It's just a temptation to be sick. And what do we do? Well, I guess I'm going to be sick for a few days. You roll over. 
It's time to rise up uh, as a king in this life and say, no, I'm not giving into that temptation. You know, I love how Andrew Womack says this. He says, I wouldn't as much be sick as I would sin, as I would go commit adultery. I wouldn't as much be sick as I would go commit adultery. To him, they're one and the same. I love it. Rise up as a king. Take your authority. Man, that was good, wasn't it? Help us get God's word out to everyone who needs it by partnering with us financially. Your generous giving is what enables us to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Visit nolimits.fyi to give securely online. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a message. And thanks again for listening. Now let's go make a difference.